Here's why I'm bringing this up now. Because capital gain taxation cuts both ways. And here's what I mean. You pay taxes on the gains, yes, but you can use realized losses to offset gains, to eliminate the taxes on those gains and keep your tax bill lower each year. Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to episode 148 of APM Success. Today I want to cover what I hope is going to be a timely investment topic related to what's happening in the stock market right now and specific investment strategies that you could consider in times like this. Nothing that follows, of course, is specific investment advice. If I name specific tickers or specific companies, this is not a recommendation to buy or sell said companies. This is for illustrative purposes only. Before I get into the meat of today's discussion, I want to make two quick housekeeping announcements. Uh, the first is, as many are aware, I'm currently partnering with Dr. Brian Cohen of AdaptTrack fame to provide CME to listeners of APM Success. So for anyone that was not aware, if you go to the show notes on your favorite uh, podcasting service, the show notes for any specific episode, you'll see at the top of these show notes, a link where you can claim CME for the episode that you've just heard. I'm continuing to provide this at no charge for listeners of APM Success. I'm not sure how long I'm going to be able to do that for, but I am doing it right now. So if you need to rack up some CME credits, check out the notes of your favorite APM Success episodes in order to do that. The second item is I would love to try to continue to get more ratings for this show to raise the profile of it. Embarrassingly, I was actually talking to an anesthesiologist client yesterday they had heard about me on their, they had heard about me on another podcast. And I said, Oh, yeah, like, have you, did you know that I have a podcast? And that was news to them. So somehow I've managed to be working with them for over a year now, and they didn't know that APM success existed. So I would love for that to not happen anymore. And you can help if you leave a review in Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Spotify has recently unlocked the ability to leave podcast reviews. If you could do that, I would be much in your debt. Okay, today we're talking about tax loss harvesting. This is an idea that is relevant whenever the stock market is doing poorly. Right now, at the time of this recording, the S&P 500, which is a bellwether index that indicates what's happening in the U.S. economy, is down about 20% year-to-date. International markets are similar. And even bonds, even high-quality fixed-income instruments on a year-to-date basis are down double digits. So this is hopefully going to be a timely topic for what do you do when the stock market is selling off? How do you take advantage of that? That creates this dynamic, which I'm calling the reverse piggy bank. You can put money in your reverse piggy bank using this method of tax loss harvesting. There's a few different facets I want to review in order to give this topic sufficient treatment. This is really just an overview. So I want to give you something to think about today to see if this might be worth either enacting or talking with a trusted financial advisor to help you enact this. First thing you've got to know is that in the Internal Revenue Code, the way that taxes work, there's two different, well, there's more than two, but there are different ways of taxation that apply to different types of income. 
the, the most two basic that we're going to deal with today are ordinary income, which is earned income in most cases, money that you make with your job, what you do vocationally. And then there are capital gains income. These have two different sets of rules as it relates to taxes. In general, capital gains are going to be lower. You're, you're taxed at a lower rate with the exception of capital gains that occur for anything you hold less than a year. So the IRS says, we like it, and we're going to give preferred tax treatment to people who buy and hold for more than 365 days a specific security. If that happens, you can expect a tax treatment of somewhere between 15 and 24%, depending on how much money you make of those capital gains. So if you buy Amazon, you hold it for a year, you sell Amazon after 365 days, that stock has gone up. If you're a high income individual, those gains are going to be taxed at about 24%, this capital gain. Now that's different from your paycheck, your ordinary income, which is taxed at the top marginal rate right now at the federal level is 37%, much higher. You wanna be aware that this short-term versus long-term capital gain treatment, will it will kick your Amazon, for example. If you bought Amazon shares and it went up and then you sold it, if you hold for less than one year, that treatment in terms of taxes goes from 24%, the lower capital gains rate, up to your top marginal ordinary rate of 37% or more, depending on what state you're in. So holding long-term is good, Holding short-term is taxed less advantageously. But the way that you manage your capital gains, and specifically capital losses, in order to take advantage of the reverse piggy bank, this can really help you for you know, proactive tax planning to keep your tax bill as low as possible. Investment gains are taxable in the year that the gains are realized. This is true for stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, rental properties, Bitcoin, <laughs> businesses, etc. For example, Bitcoin has gotten crushed in the last six months. It's down about 47% on a rolling six-month basis. Tesla is down about 39%. Facebook is down 44%. Amazon is down 37%. Many companies and many securities that many people recognize, their household names are down significantly from their highs that we saw last year. So I want to give a quick example to sort of explain how capital gains taxes are going to be levied. So if you buy, for example, and I don't recommend you do this, but if you did buy $50,000 of Amazon stock and that stock goes to $100,000, so a $50,000 increase, 100% return, and then you sell it, you have realized a capital gain. Whenever you place that sale and you say, I'm turning this stock into cash, then there's $50,000 of gains that is taxable. You gotta pay taxes on that. If this is a long-term capital gain, you're gonna owe somewhere in the neighborhood of $12,000 to the Fed. And if you live in a state like Oregon, like I do, you owe another $5,000 to the state. So 50,000 of gains, $12,000 to Uncle Sam, another $5,000 to your state capital. If your gains are short-term, meaning you held Amazon for less than one year, you're going to pay ordinary income rates. So instead of paying a total tax bill on this $50,000 of gain, instead of a total tax bill of about 17 grand, which is what we saw for the long-term cap gain. This is a short-term capital gain, so now we're at 23,500. Just under half of the entire gain is taxed away at the highest income levels. Here's why I'm bringing this up now. Because capital gain taxation 
cuts both ways. And here's what I mean. You pay taxes on the gains, yes, but you can use realized losses to offset gains, to eliminate the taxes on those gains and keep your tax bill lower each year. So if we take the same example, there's $50,000 of Amazon, it goes up to $100,000, you sell it, you turn it into cash, you realize that gain. And there's a $50,000 capital gain that's realized. If you also have, for example, $100,000 of Bitcoin, that Bitcoin goes to $50,000 the way it has over the past six months, and you realize those losses, you turn that Bitcoin into cash, the gains from Amazon and the losses from Bitcoin fully offset one another. 50,000 of gains, 50,000 of losses, the net impact is zero, and the IRS lets you cancel these out against each other. This requires, however, that you place an intentional strategic sale in order to realize the losses. Whenever you turn a security into cash, placing a sale on a security, that is what's called realizing the gain or loss that results. You've got to realize a loss in order to have it offset any gain. One additional benefit is if, to take that same example, we're going to, we, we don't have any gains, we're only realizing losses in a given year, and say we're a, a dual physician household, $600,000 a year of gross income. If you have $50,000 of losses on Bitcoin that you're gonna realize, and you have no other gains, $50,000 $50, of losses, you can use 3,000 of those capital losses to offset your ordinary income. The $600,000 that you made at your job, 3,000, which is an admittedly modest amount, but that's as much as the IRS is gonna let you get away with, 3,000 can be used to reduce your taxable income. So to grossly oversimplify this math, your ordinary income drops from 600,000 to 597,000, and you've just saved just over $1,000 at the federal level on your income taxes. Here's the other thing that happens, and here's why I'm calling this the reverse piggy bank. You create this imaginary bucket of, well, I mean, it's imaginary because it's intangible, but it does exist in actuality. You have $47,000 of capital losses that you have harvested that you can now use in the future. So you can use $3,000 a year to offset ordinary income, or you now have this piggy bank of $47,000 of capital losses to offset any future capital gains. If you have capital gains on your investment portfolio where you sell shares in a taxable account, or if you sell a surgery center and you make a bunch of money because of the capital gains of the appreciation of that business, or you sell a portion of your medical practice, or you sell a rental real estate property that has gone up in value. Anything, any of these transactions will create capital gains. If you sell half of your medical practice to a partner and you realize a million dollars of gains, then your $47,000 in your imaginary piggy bank will reduce that taxable gain amount. So here's where this idea of loss harvesting gets really powerful. You can, you, you must take advantage of this in order, in bad times, in order to really fully get the benefit. You can lock in tons of losses when the stock market is doing poorly. If you can build up 50,000, 100,000, half a million dollars of tax losses in a given year, even if you only use 3,000 at a time to offset ordinary income, kind of chipping away every year at that ordinary income, you've got this reverse piggy bank account that creates what's called a, 
capital loss carry forward. So every year, any unused losses, they remain in that piggy bank. And so if you have a big capital gain event in the future, like many business owning physicians will, then you're going to have this piggy bank in the future to offset those future taxes. So who should be considering strategies like what I'm describing? If you make money and you have taxable investments, then you can benefit in most cases. The more money that you make and the more taxable investments you have, the greater the potential benefit will be. This is particularly true for any married households making $80,000 or more because that's when you start to pay long-term capital gains taxes. If you make less than 80,000, so maybe a married couple where there's one resident physician and one stay-at-home spouse and a couple kids, for example, you're actually gonna pay zero long-term cap gains anyway. So this doesn't really help you as much. But for most listeners of this audience, you're gonna benefit from the tax impact of tax loss harvesting. One other thing you need to know is in order to do this, you might say, Justin, this sounds awesome. How do I know, you know how I go about this? What do I need to have happening financially? You need to have taxable investments. That means the strategy I'm describing can't work in a 401k, it can't work in a Roth IRA or a 403B or a 457 or a defined benefit plan or anything like that. Any type of tax deferred or tax-free account does not allow you to tax loss harvest. And the reason is there's nothing taxable happening in that account. If in your Roth IRA, if you buy $50,000 of Amazon and it goes up to 100 and you sell the 100,000 and turn it into cash, there's no taxes due because a Roth IRA is a tax-free account. So you've got to have a taxable account, also known as a brokerage account or an individual investment account or a living trust or revocable trust account. Any of these would be types of accounts that would make this strategy work. So when is a good time to do tax loss harvesting? One of the funny things about the way that stock markets work is that returns are lumpy. <laughs> the long-term average for US companies over time is around 10%, but you don't get 10% a year most years, you get 40% or negative 20% in a given year. So good times tend to be bunched together statistically and bad times are also bunched together statistically. What this means is that down markets, whenever they happen in a short period of time, these days tend to be clustered when it's a bad day after a bad day, a bad week after a bad week, and a couple bad months all strung together. Right now we're seeing this on a year to date basis and we don't know, it may continue. US and international stock markets are down about 20%. What this means is that the most pronounced benefit of these strategies is going to occur at specific points in time, namely when markets are doing badly. It's tough to harvest a bunch of losses when markets are going up and markets go up most of the time. If there's no losses to harvest, you can't tactically place sales in order to realize losses. All you're doing if you're placing sales in up markets, in most cases, is that you're harvesting gains and then you're paying taxes on those gains if that's a taxable account and that is bad. So you wanna buy and hold in up markets and in down markets, when things get really bad really fast, this is the opportunity that you have to sell in order to tax loss harvest. You can't do significant tax loss harvesting every year because we don't get a 20 plus percent sell off every year but you can do this in some cases right now. So here's what you do. You look at any qualifying accounts, taxable investment accounts, namely. 
you're going to find specific positions that are at a loss, meaning the value currently is less than what you paid for them, hopefully significantly at a loss. And then you're going to sell those securities. You're going to realize the losses. That's it. Once you've done that, you've harvested your loss, you put that money in the reverse piggy bank and you can now use it either this year to offset ordinary income, this year to offset capital gains or create a tax loss carry forward for the future, for future ordinary income or capital gain offset. Now it's important to note there is sort of a reciprocal consideration. When you place a sale, you realize a loss, that's awesome. But then what happens when you place a sale? You now have, in the case of this Amazon stock, $100,000 in cash. And another important consideration is you don't wanna miss out on what the stock market is gonna give you. So you need to keep this money invested. What that means is you need to reinvest that money immediately in a similar asset. Notably, you can't just sell the Amazon and then buy the Amazon back. What that does is that creates what's called a wash sale. The IRS doesn't want you to be able to realize a loss and get the benefit of the loss and then immediately jump back into the same security and have the benefit of ongoing exposure to the same security. So what they make you do is to buy something different. So if you sell Amazon, maybe you buy Tesla. <laughs> Not that those are necessarily a good high correlation to one another, but that's something you could do if you needed to put the cash back to work. For individual securities, this is very difficult. And this is one reason that most retail investors shouldn't pick individual stocks, is that you need to have a substitute asset in order to harvest the losses. It's much easier for indices, meaning if you have index ETFs, if you have the S&P 500 ETF, and you're down 20% on the year and you wanna realize those losses and you have high basis. Basis meaning the amount of money that you've invested into the ETF. If you put a bunch of money in on January 1st, say you invest a million bucks, now it's worth 800,000. You wanna lock in that loss, place the sale on the S&P ETF, but now we've gotta do something because we've got 800,000 in cash. And whenever markets go down, 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 it basically is creating an invisible pull towards the long-term average. This is the principle of mean reversion that we've talked about in the show. So if markets are bad, 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 that means the likelihood that this week or this month or this year is gonna be good, it gets better and better and better. It's unlikely that the stock market would be down 50%, down 50%, down 50% in three years, subsequent three consecutive years. More likely, what you'll see is market is down 50% one year, it's up 40% the second year, and it's up 30% the third year because of this mean reversion principle. For this reason, selling in times of market distress, if things are bad and you sell, it's very important to put the cash back to work because if you sell that 800,000 after it's down 20% and then you sit on cash for six months, <laughs> the market might come roaring back in the time that follows. And you're gonna totally, you know, in order to capture the capital loss, you're gonna totally miss out on a huge stock market run that could cost you way more. So what you would do is have a substitute security purchase. So if, for example, it's the S&P 500, it's a large cap US stock index. We place the sale, we have $800,000 in cash. We're gonna reinvest that cash in, for example, the Russell 1000 ETF. Russell 1000 and the S&P 500 have many of the same companies that comprise those indices. They're not precisely the same though. So in the eyes of the IRS, if you sell 800,000 of S&P and you buy 800,000 of Russell 1000, you do all that 
like immediately, you don't violate the wash sale rule. So you still capture the losses and you maintain consistent market exposure. It's important to do both of these things. So this is a somewhat technical topic. Hopefully you found it useful. If you're looking at your portfolio, check out any taxable accounts that you have. Consider which securities might be ripe for harvesting some tax losses. Consider how much money you might be able to put in your reverse piggy bank. And make sure that you're considering reciprocal trades in order to not miss the upside if the stock market comes roaring back in the meantime. That's all I've got for today. As always, thank you for tuning in to this episode of APM Success. Until next week. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.